Please open your Bibles to Matthew 20, second set of blind men in Matthew's Gospel that we see uh, meet Jesus and cry out for Him to do what only He can do. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, powerful Word. Hear the Word of the Lord to you this morning. As Jesus and His disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed Him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed Him. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May He bless it to our hearts and our lives this morning. You may be seated. Sometimes it's good when you get this far into the Gospel of Matthew to kind of look back to see where we've been. And I want to mention just one important detail. From verse 1 of chapter 1, Matthew has been setting forth for our faith for us to see, bringing it out, the very fact that Jesus is indeed the son of David. That's already the first thing. It's at the first verse of the book. He wants to prove something. He wants to show you something throughout the rest of his gospel He is setting forth that very important fact. Now the first time anyone actually acknowledges this in his gospel account is in chapter 9, interestingly enough, when two blind men cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. It's interesting that it's not the religious leaders that call him this first, or in their case at all. It's not those who are popular. It's not those who have power. It's not those who have status. It's two poor, hurting, broken, blind men. That's chapter 9. And then we see this again in chapter 12 when the crowd brings a demon-possessed man who is blind and mute to Jesus and Jesus heals him so that he could both speak and see. The crowd actually asks the question, could this be? the son of David. So they're like, wow, we've never seen anything like this before. Could this be? Then again in chapter 15, there's only a few more. Chapter 15, if you remember, a Canaanite woman, a Gentile, an unclean character, has a daughter who's hurting, who's demon-possessed. And you remember she cries out in chapter 15, Lord, and this time she says, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then again, here in our passage, another set of blind men cry out, Lord, Son of David, and they plead for his mercy. So what we see is that truly, in this case, once again, who in society actually sees first who Jesus is? Whose hearts are open so that they could spiritually recognize that this is no mere man, this is no mere prophet, that this is the Lord come to visit His people, the anointed Messiah King. Notice 
It's the last in society. Remember what Jesus said? The last are what? First. And yet the first, the important, the powerful, either they don't see who he is or in stubborn rebellion refuse to acknowledge Remember, he, he cast out a demon and, and, and it was right before uh, the Pharisees and, they, and the only thing they could say is it must be by the power of the devil <laughs> because they still couldn't, they wouldn't just say, uncle, this has to be God. What Matthew's been setting forth before our eyes is the fact that this Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, the King. Remember in the Old Testament, it was promised, God promised that Someone would sit, a king would sit from the son of, line of David, would sit on the throne and would rule forever in the kingdom of God. And what we've seen, if we've seen anything in Matthew's gospel, this has been really cool to me. This is new to me. It's so nice when you've been walking with Jesus for a couple decades or so, more than that, to see new things in the word of God. Isn't that awesome? And the new thing here in Matthew is to see all these, these contrasts he's make, made. So we've seen in the past, in this gospel so far, we've seen faith, great, incredible faith, where there should be none. You got a Roman soldier, not a part of the, the covenant people of God. He's a total Gentile. Remember, he had such faith. He said, yo, Lord, he said, you don't even have to go see my sick servant. Just say the word and I know he'll be healed. And what does Jesus say? I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. He's amazed. Listen, it takes a lot to amaze the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he was amazed. But the Bible also says Jesus was amazed at something else. We see it in Matthew's gospel. He was amazed to find such stubborn unbelief where there should have been faith. Remember, he goes to his hometown and they have such a lack of faith he can't even do the miracles he's been doing in other places. And he's amazed at God's people who should have been waiting and longing for his day. In many ways refused to see it and in other ways couldn't. On the passage before us this morning, we have another contrast. And it's a little different than the other contrast in some ways. In some ways similar. We find that those will see those with perfectly good eyes who are spiritually blind. And then we'll see those who have uh, bad eyes, physical eyes that don't work, who can spiritually see. <laughs> That's what we see in this text. main thing I want to point out, and there are many things, but I want to see, show you the main thing, and that's this. Jesus shows us that he is indeed the Messiah King by doing what no one else can do, opening the eyes of the blind. We're going to see that. He shows us that he's indeed the Messiah King by doing what no one else can do, opening the eyes of the blind. We'll see three things. I'm always very surprising in most of my sermons. Um, we're going to see, first of all, sometimes those who can see are blind. And then we're going to see sometimes those who are blind can see. And then the last thing we're going to see is that Jesus alone can give sight to the blind. Those are the three simple things in this passage. But hopefully you'll see some surprising things in here. All right, first thing I want to mention here as we look at sometimes those who can see are blind. We have to understand context very briefly. Here we have the king, Messiah king, and he is entering for the last time to his destiny. 
He's going to Jerusalem. He's already predicted twice what's going to happen. And now he has set his mind, his heart. He's determined. He's going to Jerusalem. And he told his disciples why. He will be mocked. He will be beaten. He'll be put to death. And then he will rise again on the third day. And and Matthew tells us here that a large crowd followed him. We shouldn't be surprised, though, that this large crowd's faith was not exactly a perfect faith, and it may not be the kind of faith, a real faith at all, and I'll explain. There's no doubt that they were wrong-headed and they had worldly expectations of Jesus. They, they gather around Jesus because they're like, cool, he's coming in, he's going to be coronated, he's going to be crowned king, and I'm going to be, I'm, I knew him, I'm with him. He's going to clean house. He's going to to get the Roman rule off of our back and he's bringing Israel back to her glory. And I want to be a part of that when that happens. Now I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to tell you a little bit ahead. It's like only a few passages away. This same crowd that wanted to be on his side when he was riding high into Jerusalem, as soon as they saw things weren't going down the way they thought, and instead of uh, breaking the, the back of the Romans, he's being mocked. And crucified, you remember what they did? They turned around and said what? Crucify him. They turned to the angry, hating crowd. Their hopes were dashed. They wanted worldly deliverance. And I'm going to show you already here, even before this happens, already here we see their blindness. Because when two desperate blind men shout out to Jesus for healing, what do they do? They say, awesome, another opportunity for God to show his mercy. Another opportunity to see deliverance of King Jesus for these two poor souls. No, that's not what they do. They tell him to shut up. That's what they really do. Just be quiet. Shut up. Stop bothering him. Get away. They were blind to who King Jesus really was, and they were blind to his mission and what it was all about. To modify the Grateful Dead song, (laughs) sorry, but they had two good eyes, but they still couldn't see. And that's the irony of this passage that we cannot miss. The crowd had physical sight, but simply couldn't perceive who Jesus was or what he really came to do. I was crabbing, we were crabbing a few nights ago. And uh, I guess it was day because it's still light out, but. We're crabbing, and I'm serious about my crabbing, man, because I'm thinking i got to get a certain amount of keepers or I can't make no sauce. So with my wife, we're crabbing. I think we were on our fourth crab, right? And usually you like to four to six, but since it's my wife and I, we might get away with four. And I, I caught one, you know, in the, in, the, in the trap. And the traps are a little rickety at times, so if you don't get the bucket pretty soon, sometimes they can kind of sneak their way out. So, but Mayor's over there with the bucket, I'm all the way down the dock, and I'm looking over at her, and she's, she's striking up this conversation with people who were on a paddleboard, right? And they had a dog on their paddleboard. So she was like, oh. She starts talking to him across the water, and I'm like, Mayor, come on, get the bucket. She's still talking to her. I'm like, Mayor, the bucket, please. Like, we could talk to the dog later, you know? And she said to me, remember, people are more important than crabs. And I'm like, you know, I like preaching, but I don't, I don't like what, what I have to be the one that has to eat a little crow. Because it is true. 
She humbled me because Jesus did not send me to Atlantic City and to Ventnor to catch crabs. Right? Not that there's anything wrong with that in your off time. He sent me to catch people. Amen? He said, I will make you fisher of men. The point is, at that moment, I wasn't seeing really clear, was I? My wife was, by the grace of God. The crowd here were annoyed by the two blind men and possibly even embarrassed by their loud pleas for Jesus to have mercy. And so they show their annoyance by rebuking them and silencing them, trying to. On top of all this, they probably thought Jesus was going to congratulate them, like, oh, thanks for getting those guys off. They probably thought they did a good thing. Doug O'Donnell, one commentator, puts it this way. I, I love it. He says, This rebuke is a small but symbolically significant action. It's symbolic of the crowd's faith. A faith, quote-unquote, that likes Jesus as mighty king, but not Jesus as merciful king. A king who came not to be served, but to serve. A king who came to live and die and live again for the least. The outcasts of society. Even blind beggars. As we'll see in a little more detail in just a few minutes. Jesus doesn't dismiss the blind men. This I found this interesting. He doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't push past them in a hurry like we often are in to do whatever it is we think is so important. And even though, listen to this, this hit me too. Even though now he has set his face like flint to the cross, literally, this is not hyperbole, there has been no greater or more important or more serious of a mission than the mission Jesus was on. Can you think of one in the history of the world that was more important than Jesus going to that cross? If there was ever a time he could say, my mission is more important, it could have been then. But even then, he stops. It says right in the text, he stopped. And he listened. Just to, to show compassion to the needing, needy and the hurting. So Jesus' positive response was a rebuke to the crowd whose eyes were physically whole but failed to see. But now the second thing, and this is where it really gets good, now we're going to see sometimes those who are blind can see. So we see in the text, two blind men were sitting by the road when Jesus was passing by. And when they heard, I like how the text puts that, obviously they couldn't see. When they heard that Jesus was coming by, they took full opportunity of this opportunity to gain an audience with him. They shouted. They had no shame. They weren't worried about looking good or looking cool or or not being embarrassed. They shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Think about this. They had such faith in Jesus' ability to restore their physical sight that upon being rebuked by the crowd, it says in the text, I love this, they only shouted louder. (laughs) So when the crowd tried to stop them instead of being deterred, they shouted louder. Jesus. Lord, Son of David, have mercy. And I don't want us to minimize how much these blind men actually see. Some people point out that the word translated Lord here in the text could just mean sir, like a polite sir, or it could mean Lord, as in God, Master. And so, you know, some commentators, we're not sure how much they understood. I'm sure. 
I'll tell you why. Do you think they said like a waiter would say to Jesus, oh, sir, does that look like what the text is? No, the text, they say Lord, and then what do they call him? Son of David. And listen, think about it this way. One, tell me one time a prophet, a priest, or a king, or an apostle. Well, there's one time an apostle, but no, it's still different. Um, gave sight to the blind. It doesn't happen. There's only one person who gives sight to the blind, and that's Yahweh. That's God. That's the Lord. They knew exactly. Now, of course, did they have a theology degree of, and having the benefit of having the New Testament Scriptures so they had it exactly worked out as much as us? No, but I'll tell you what, they believed more than the other, even the religious leaders. They were seeing even clearer in many ways than the disciples who would go back and forth in their unbelief. At this moment, they knew Jesus had the key to their deliverance and they weren't giving up, even though they were deterred. This wasn't enough evidence of their spiritual perception. When Jesus asked them what it is that they want him to do for them, they respond by saying, Lord, we want to see. We want our sight. They believed he had the power and the ability. You remember earlier in the gospel, uh, someone said to Jesus, if you can help me. (laughs) You remember what Jesus said? If I can? Like, seriously? Wait a minute here. You know, I thought you believed. And oh, I do believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief, right? Here, there's no question, there's no doubt, there's no wrestling. You can do it. They believe he was the anointed one who was to come. That, in fact, they see that here in faith, we see, they threw themselves completely at his mercy, despite the, the crowd's attempts to cast them off and prevent them from gaining an audience from Jesus. And notice something else. They had faith that Jesus was compassionate, that he cared, that he would do something if they could but get an audience with him. Isn't that interesting? They weren't put off. G. Campbell Morgan once put it this way, seeing is not believing. Listen to this, this is good. Seeing is seeing. Believing is being confident without seeing. And that's what you have with these two blind men. They couldn't see a lick, as it were. Nothing. They couldn't see the hand in front of their faces. But they had deep confidence. They had deep faith that Jesus could and would, if they could just get in front of him, restore their sight. Michael Green puts it this way. The most profound point here is the judgment, the reversal of values which we have seen throughout the past two chapters and to which this story fittingly supplies the climax. climax. It is very subtly drawn. The request of the disciples for the top places in the kingdom shows their blindness. The request of the blind men shows their vision of who Jesus is and what he can do. The blind men see Jesus as great David's greater son. The crowd who can see are blind to who he is, as are the Pharisees. The counterpoint is poignant. The judgments are complete. Now that is an upside-down kingdom, isn't it? Sometimes 
Those who see are blind. Sometimes those who are blind can see. And the last thing, and this is the, the real punchline of the text here, is that only Jesus can give sight to the blind. Let's not forget who the main character in this story is. It's King Jesus. It's Messiah. He's going to fulfill His mission. Come what may. And let's not make any mistake about it. No one has taken His life. It's time for Him to lay it down by His own will, sovereignly. And it's interesting. I might mention this later, but I I don't want to forget this. I'm going to say it now. Earlier, when when He cures the blind man, remember He tells him, don't tell anybody who I am. Remember that? And we talked about it wasn't time yet. Well, now, now notice there's no don't tell anybody. Now it's secrets out. I'm going to accelerate what's going to happen to me. I know what's going to happen to me. Go ahead and tell everybody. It's my purpose to go to the cross. But notice here, he takes the time out here to hear the heartfelt cry of the neediest, and I, I, I love when we think about this, and the least of his subjects. You know, I think that's really what amazed the people and what amazes us today is here you have, when you see a king and he comes into his kingdom, people don't ever really get a chance to see him face up. You know, we'll see somebody on TV and go, oh, look, there's the president. Here you have a king who literally went to the people. He went to the lowest of low, the poorest of poor, the weakest of weak, the lame, the blind, the sick, the lonely, and he went in their houses. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. This is a different king than this world has ever seen before. Because he's the true king. Because he's the king that came to serve, not to be served. Not to take from his subjects and put burdens on their backs, but to give his life as a ransom. And notice, it's interesting here, I I love just the little details. The Bible says he stopped. (laughs) I love that deadness track, he just stopped. And he called back to him, the text says. They yelled at him. He called back. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? Think of it this way. What can I do? What can the king do for you? That's what he's asking. What one thing do you want? And you can feel the ache and the hopelessness, or I'm sorry, the hopefulness the hopefulness in Jesus in their response. Listen to this ache. Lord, we want our sight. Imagine for a moment. We read these stories and we just go by too quick sometimes. I speak about myself. But imagine for a moment not being able to see a child smile. One of the most beautiful things, right? Not being able to see the sun when it's coming up in all its grandeur, or when it's setting? How many have you seen? How many have I seen in my life? Or I always think about riding our motorcycles. I'll never forget this. Um, And the cat skills in the fall when you go around a corner and you see the brilliance of the leaves change. The colors, right? They almost look fake. They almost look painted on. But it's a lot worse even than that. Because in those days especially, without your sight, you know what that meant? You had no livelihood. You couldn't work. And so these two, their way of of living was begging. That's how they put food on the table. That's how they survived. One of the most powerful scenes in the, the movie, Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino. 
It's rated R. Be careful. Watch it on TV. Take out the cursing. But one of the most powerful scenes, he was a blind veteran, very bitter and angry about his life, and he had this young chaperone for his last hurrah, which the young chaperone didn't know. He was intending on killing himself after this weekend away. And the chaperone young man walks in while Al Pacino has a gun. And he's yelling at the young guy to get away, leave. And the young man says to him, in a very emotional scene, he says, you know, he goes, Al Pacino says, I messed up, but he says other things. And he says, so what? We all mess up, the kid said. Why can't you just just get on with your life now? And then I remember, and this part was powerful. He says, life, he yells. What life? I'm in the dark here. You understand? I'm in the dark. We don't understand what that means here, do we? To be in the dark. To not be able to see. And have to live like that 24-7. So they go to the only one in the universe who could do anything about their sad condition. And Matthew tells us these wonderful words. Look at verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed Him. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't pray like a prophet would have to do. God, I pray You would open their eyes. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do an incantation like many times. In the name of Yahweh, eyes be open. No. Jesus just... <laughs> touch. And immediately, no hesitation, they see. <laughs> That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And so think about this. Quite possibly, for the first time in their lives, unless they could see when they were younger and they had an accident, they could see clouds. <laughs> Imagine like, whoa, a blue sky. The, for the first time, they see each other. Maybe they go, oh, man, we need to, you know. No, or maybe they were like, you know, so happy. But for the first time, they could physically see the Lord too, like everyone else could in those days. And this time, as I mentioned, there was no warning not to tell people. D.A. Carson puts it so well when he says this, Matthew's account is simple, but stresses that Jesus mercifully healed the men despite the opposition of the crowd that, like the disciples, wanted to bask in his glory but not practice his compassion. You notice that? The crowd wanted to bask in the glory, but they didn't want to practice his compassion. It was inconvenient. It was embarrassing. It was to, to, you have to associate yourself with these people of low standing. You're not really going to lift yourself up high in society if you're known to be hanging out with those kind of folk. It's below King Jesus to be messing with these guys. Notice something else that's very important here. Not only did they immediately receive their sight, but here, uh, just a few more minutes here with me, because this is the most powerful thing to me. Immediately they received their sight and, what does the text say? They followed him. Why is that important? Let's go back a few passages, a few verses. Remember you had a rich young ruler? 
And you remember, he approaches Jesus, what good thing can I do to earn or to gain eternal life? They come on the basis of merit. They come to earn. He comes to earn, rather. He comes for merit. And what does he come away with? Nothing. It says, Jesus said, come follow me, but he turned around and did what? Walked the other way. Here, by contrast, here are two Blind men, they, they have nothing. They offer to give nothing. They, they, they don't even try to bargain with Jesus. They come and they do what? They receive. That's all they do. They come and humbly receive by faith. One tries to give and comes away empty. The other one comes empty and says, I have nothing to give. They receive freely. And what's the byproduct? They are empowered by the grace of God to do what the young man couldn't earn, to follow Jesus. me that was a big aha moment for matthew's gospel as i looked at it they see clearly the only way to enter the king enter the kingdom and follow jesus is to humbly receive mercy from him by grace and then they're empowered to follow him not the other way around remember i said this before i'll say it again because the bible teaches it and we see it clearly here in this passage there are only two kinds of religion in the world One that says, nothing in my hands I bring. The other says, something in my hands I bring. There's only two options. And that is the best news we could ever hear for the weak, for the statusless, for the needy, for the broken, for the sinful, for the wretched, for the fallen, for the disregarded. There's great hope. That anyone who comes to Jesus humbly and receives from Him His forgiveness, His grace, they are welcome by King Jesus. And they are empowered to follow Him and to live out of thankfulness. Notice they didn't bring anything. They had the open hand, empty hand of faith. And they received everything. A place with Him in His kingdom, a place among His people, physical sight. And here's the thing. As I come to a close. The real powerful thing about this passage is that Jesus is only the one who can open our eyes. And I'll tell you why. Why do you think they, in their hearts, could see who Jesus was? You think that was something inside them? You think they were smarter than the other guys? You think they were more spiritual? You think they did it on their own? They enlightened their own hearts and minds? No, the mystery we're going to see, and it's going to be with, in no uncertain terms, comes in chapter 22. I'm going to give you a little foretaste. Jesus says, many are called. You with me? But what comes next? but few are chosen. The point is, in the sovereign grace of our merciful and kind God, the last will be first and the first will be last. Right? Paul puts it this way. Think of when you were called. Not many of you were what? Of noble birth. Not many of you were in the intelligentsia. Not many of you had status. But God chose the what? The poor, the weak, 
the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that everyone would see it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of God we have. We have the kind of God who opens the eyes of the blind. If you see this morning, it's because God opened your eyes by His grace. And if you're still a little fuzzy and you can't see, then fall on your knees and go to the only one, like these two beggars did, for their physical sight, and say, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. And here's the thing, I want to close with this. Even as believers, sometimes we can get spiritual glaucoma. You know what I'm saying? We get spiritual like I did when I was crabbing for a little bit there. I had a couple moments of blindness. And we need to sing like we did earlier. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Because only Jesus can turn our darkness into light. Only Jesus can open up the eyes of the blind. So by faith, let's come to Him this morning to make sure that we are among that number not trying to earn our way, not relying on any goodness of our own, our own intelligence, our own status, but totally relying on the grace and the mercy and the glory of Messiah, King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, how we thank You for Your grace, how we thank You for Your mercy, and how we ask for Your forgiveness that so often we're, not, we're out of focus at the least. Father, forgive us for even sometimes willingly turning a blind eye to You, Your purposes, Your purpose for us as Your people. Jesus, we acknowledge You are the giver of life. You are the giver of sight to the blind. And we come with nothing in our hands other than the cry, have mercy, O Lord, and continue to make us the people You call us to be by Your grace. Thank You for Your forgiveness. And thank you for the power you give us through your Holy Spirit to follow you and to confess and repent when we are found wanting. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.